Amen. Praise God. Please stand. Let's read the word of God together. Uh, turn with me to First John chapter three. First John chapter three. going to read from verse 18 onwards and keeping in mind that we still have our Matthew made in and in, in controlling passage but in the interest of time we won't have to read that just now uh, let's read this one beginning at verse number 18 dear children let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Mark that. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. He commanded us, excuse me. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word. We seek your grace, your power, your covering, your special anointing on this occasion as we deliver your holy word, taking authority over every power, over every force of the enemy, known or unknown, visible or invisible, Taking 
hold of that which is an intention form from the enemy because your word tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And those strongholds, Lord, we take down today by the authority of Jesus. And we ask that you will grant us the capacity and the enabling to cause your word to reach your people, to meet every need. And we'll be careful to kneel humbly before your feet. And we will thank you for using us. We seek these mercies in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. So today, we are into part number 10 of our series titled, What Does God See in Your Life These Days? And this has been a practical look at top priorities of the kingdom as taught by Jesus. And we've been dealing with Matthew chapter 6. We began in verse number one. We've gone into the, la the second last segment, which is verses 12 to 15. Today, we are in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 to 24. And our installment focuses on forgiving yourself and letting go. Forgiving yourself and letting go. In the last segment, we focused on learning to walk in forgiveness. I did say there was a second part to this forgiveness teaching, and this is the part we are handling today. But we're looking at learning to walk in forgiveness and observed the fact that Matthew's use of the term debt where he says, forgive our debts, is in reference to the moral debts, that is, sins. The moral debts that we owe. And it deals with issues of sin. Sins. That is why we say Luke chapter 11 verse 4 specifically says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Same um, some, some incident, more or less, and some uh, issue, but tackled from two different angles by two different uh, gospel evangelists, Matthew versus Luke. We say that it's amazing that this is what our Lord Jesus uses to set the stage to reflect on one of life's greatest tests for the believer, the test of walking in forgiveness. And we asked ourselves the question, what is forgiveness? And my definition is that it's a state of one being released from a wrong they have committed upon confession or upon repentance. Uh, in this case, repentance is the more potent word encompassing the fact that there may be a process of confession and then repentance. So that state of one being released from a wrong they have committed upon their uh, confession or repentance. That is what I describe as a state of forgiveness. And I say it erases, or at least two aspects emerge from there. One, the aspect of God 
forgiving a sinner. And secondly, the aspect of us forgiving one another. So having this in mind, we zeroed in on three reasons why we believed the Lord brings such um, a topic up in the midst of discussion on prayer. So we said the Lord brings this kind of matter up in relation to prayer because, number one, of the reality of the battle with sin. We looked at Isaiah 59 and verse 1 and 2. Yours, God's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear, but that your sins, our sins, have separated between us and our God, between you and your God. We looked at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 to 9. We understand that very well. If we claim that we have no sin, we make God a liar. In verse 9 of 1 John uh, chapter 1, they're continuing to remind us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all sins and to um, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We went further to consider the fact that one of our issues of struggle today is how we put the self first. So we observe from Philippians chapter 2, verses um, 3 to 5, that we are encouraged to look not only on our own interests, but on the interests of others. In the example of Jesus, who was able to set aside something he would have held on to. He did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to, but he let it go. He let go of it. He put that aside and emptied himself of all. And he came to take your place and mine. So that example in Philippians is very powerful. So that's the reality of our battle with sin. Secondly, we talked about the need for true repentance, not just confession. Second Corinthians 7.10. And uh, eventually we went to the third lesson, the need for us to forgive one another. And we looked at that example also going beyond Matthew 6 into Matthew 18 where Jesus set a clear guideline for how believers deal with faults that they have against one another. That's by approaching one another and talking to one another. And so when you deal with it from that angle, you understand that we have set the ground and the path for each one of us learning to walk in forgiveness, that is forgiving one another, uh, forgiving others. We close by reflecting on what Christ has done for us eternally, and that is reflected uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Keeping that in mind, today's installment in part number 10, as we focus on forgiving yourself and letting go, should begin by us reminding ourselves that forgiving others is already known to be not an easy task. It's actually difficult. It's hard enough to be asked to forgive. And we've observed that it is difficult. Forgiving oneself has actually been said to possibly be even harder. It, said, it, is, it has been said to possibly be 
possibly be even harder in some cases. The word B may be missing there. Oh, it's right there. To possibly be even harder in some cases. And if that is the case, then one might want to ask and to observe. Why is it so? Because if it's hard enough to forgive others, it's been found that it's very hard to forgive self. But forgiving self is important. In order for you to move on and truly walk in forgiveness. See, while everyone makes mistakes, it it may not be easy for one. It may not be easy for one to forgive themselves for some mistakes they have made, either in the past, long past, short past, near past, or even something in the present. I want to address this thing because it touches uh, many, many lives. The struggle with mistakes, the struggle with even something more serious, sin, because there are some things that you do that are mistakes that may not necessarily be seen, but they are mistakes in life. But it's even more serious when what we are looking at as what we may be struggling with is in fact sin. So the struggle with mistakes or the struggle with sin itself takes place deep very deep inside the heart. One battles with their own heart, condemning themselves. One battles with their own heart, speaking things and saying, but you have done wrong. Do you think you're making a difference by going to church? But you have sinned. Do you think it makes a difference when you have to pray? But you have fallen. Do you think it makes a difference for you to make any any effort to go before God? So one battles with their own heart, condemning them for what they have done wrong. So a question rises. What does a child of God do in this kind of scenario when they are battling deep inside with things they have done? Maybe you've even confessed some of those things and repented of them, but somehow... The condemnation lingers in your mind and in your heart. I want us to explore a path suggested by the Apostle John. So this builds on what we were learning in Matthew chapter 6. And the Apostle John commences this path quite um, uniquely. Because he first of all talks about not loving in word, but in deed. So he sets the scenario where a person has to think about who they are in reference to who's around them. And what they are doing with and to those around them. So what you do to those around you and what you do with those around you says a lot about who you really are inside. Is everybody following? That's how John starts. 
So he says, let's not love in word only or tongue. But he says, let's love by actions. In other words, let's do things to one another that truly demonstrate the love that God um, has demonstrated. That's how John begins. But then in verse number 19, and he says, these actions then uh, are indicative of the truth. So he refers to the truth. He says, by these actions, it means that we are loving in, re in reality, in deed, and in truth. Then in verse number 19, he says, then this is how we know that we belong to this truth. He's talking about acting in love and being in the truth. And then he says, this is then how we know that we are in the truth. But what he's talking about here is really a transitional type of thing. It's leading us somewhere. Not an end in itself. So in the next line he says, and this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Now that's the arena where we're dealing with forgiving yourself. When your heart condemns you, it means you're dealing with an issue that you have not freed your mind and your heart and your conscience from. It means that that thing comes, it haunts you. And when it haunts you, you blame yourself. You blame yourself for a loved one that died because maybe of an illness they had for a long time. But maybe in the last minute, you begin to ask if you were the one uh, leading the giving of care. You wonder, you know, maybe we didn't do enough. Maybe I didn't do enough. So you can blame yourself. Ah, evangelist. I thought you were still in quarantine. It ended yesterday. Welcome back home. This is Evangelist Simusa. Welcome back home. Let's welcome her. I saw her nodding. You know, so then I realized you're here. Okay, we knew you were in quarantine. They've come back home. They've been in quarantine, but it ended yesterday. Praise God. So you blame yourself. And you wonder, did we do enough? Did I do enough? So that loved one, loved one is gone. Or maybe you're battling with uh, a failed relationship, a failed marriage relationship. And you're looking back, blaming yourself. Or a failed social relationship that was supposed to lead towards marriage and you had all your dreams, everything made up. Suddenly, it fails. And now you're in this game where you're blaming yourself. Or a lost job. Or a failed interview. A failed exam. Am I talking to people this morning? Or indeed a, an actual sin, act of sin that you committed. It could be anything.
Maybe you're a young person who has parents that expected so much from you, but of late you, they're disappointed with you. And you're wondering, what did I do? What can I do to earn my parents' trust again? You're blaming yourself. The heart is condemning you. Your own heart is condemning you. Or you're somebody holding a huge job and maybe you've just had your reports done. It's nearing the end of the year and your, your evaluation report has come and it appears you didn't really do as well as you ought to have done. And of self-evaluation is important, self-critiquing is important, but you know you could go beyond that and you would now literally be blaming yourself and some people fail to recover from those things. So this is very broad. And John sets that, that, that arena for us and says, this then is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence when our, whenever our hearts condemn us. And John suggests, for God is greater than our hearts. Hallelujah. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So number one, the path suggested by John here as to how we deal with this aspect of forgiving ourselves and letting go when we are struggling with our own past mistakes, our own sins and things that we have done, acts of omission that we are now mourning over and wondering whether we could have done things differently. And then maybe some actual acts of commission, as they call them, sins of commission, where we've actually done something wrong. And we are aware. But maybe we even went on and confessed, but then there's still this problem of the heart condemning. The first thing that John suggests we must do is rest in the truth of God's greatness. Hallelujah. Rest in the truth of God's greatness. How can we do this? How can we rest in the truth of God's greatness? You notice how John is presenting this. He, he, has, he has laid um, a path of a very powerful narrative because he says, this then is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. When our hearts condemn us and how he says, God is greater than our hearts and that he knows everything. So I'm suggesting, picking up from John here, that we need to learn to rest in the truth. This is not a suggestion. This is not an opinion. This is not a preference. This is a projection of an absolute truth that abides. God is greater than our hearts. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. It's an abiding truth. God is greater than our hearts. So when you know that God is greater than your heart, then the following is also true. God is greater than your greatest mistake. Are oh, you didn't hear me? 
I said, God is greater than your greatest sin or mistake in life. This is what this implies. Because remember, you're battling in the heart. Your heart is saying, you've done this. Look, you're good for nothing. Look, even your looks have changed. Oh, everybody can see you, you've just blown it. Everybody can see that you're now not going forward. You're going backward. And, and, and so you get up and you look, people see you and you just feel like you are the worst mistake in this life. I am here to declare to you, God is greater than your heart. He is greater than the sin you have committed. He is greater than the greatest mistakes you have made in this life. That's an important truth arising out of this fact that we must rest in the truth of God's greatness. But something that goes alongside that is that you need to know that God That's supposed to be God. You need to know that God forgives and forgets. Do you hear me? Many of you are not uh, familiar with a saying uh, which was popularized by one of our early freedom fighters here in Zambia in the name of Mr. Kapoepoe, he once said, Africa, meaning Africa, we have forgiven, meaning for the things that, I think in this case, the colonialists did so many things, so maybe okay, we've forgiven the, forgiven the colonialists, but we will never forget that he popularized that, that term. Um, if we take it a little further, in this life, there are times that you might forgive, but then you say to yourself, I'll never forget. Never forget. You want to remember that this person did something to you, so you just never forget. Well, in God's economy, he beats us all. We as human beings would like to forgive and then not forget because we just want to keep a, a tiny bit reminder of, Remember, you just want to leave small bits so, so we can remind somebody, remember? No. God expects us to forgive and forget. But I want us to see that he demonstrates exactly that. So God is greater than our greatest sin or mistake. Let's look at some passages of scripture that are very, very powerful. I want us to begin in Psalm uh, 103, verse 10 and 11. There are four quick ones we must look at right now and we'll go to the next lesson, uh, the next aspect of the lesson. Psalm 103. The Bible says there in verse number 10, he does not treat us, everybody following? This is some serious stuff here. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. You see how unfair we are with one another? How that we want to keep rubbing it in and reminding others. But now I'm talking about you. You are struggling with your own self. Surely, if you are struggling with your own self, do you want somebody 
whom you did something wrong against to be holding something against you and add to the struggle you already have just forgiving yourself. You see how unfair and how unreal we are? You are struggling right now with just acquitting yourself and forgiving yourself of the errors you've committed. But on top of that, you want to hold on to make sure that you really think you can handle this? I marvel at us sometimes. But this is us, human beings. So centered on self that we will do anything to think we're getting ahead. But we're actually putting ourselves backwards. So God does something different. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse number 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why he will remember your sins and iniquities no more. But this is important first. We understand his love. He forgives and forgets. Psalm 130 verse 4, I taught from a number of months ago this year. If you are God, let's start at verse 3. Verse 3. If you are Lord, kept a record of sins. Hello, 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 hello. Huh. If you are Lord, kept a record of sins. The way we keep a record of each other's wrongs. We remember what somebody did to us in 19. At, at Pendef Kondo. Uh, in 19, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we remember those, huh? We diarize them, yeah. In our diaries, you've entered their names. If you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, O Lord, who would stand? Nindani Muno, Nindani. Who would stand? Verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you. Therefore, you must be feared. There is forgiveness with God. He forgives and he forgets. Glory be to his holy name. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43 verse 25. Even I, God says with emphasis, am he who blots out your transgressions. Praise God. You ready for the next line? He doesn't do it for you. He doesn't do it for me. So that means there's no place for boasting. no place for boasting. He says, I, even I, 
I'm he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So God forgives and forgets. So let's go back to that saying by one of these freedom fighters whom we have mentioned. Africa to Elela, number to Akalabe. I want to say Africa, Elela, Labako, meaning forgive and do forget. I know we can talk about what happened in the colonial days and uh, colonial days, and I know there is a place for what we talk about as reparations and so on. Yeah, there's a place for that and everything. But still, when it comes to the act of of um, of, of forgiveness, we must be able to learn to forget. So God here wants us to know that when he forgives, he forgets. That's why we can rest in the truth of his greatness. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why John is suggesting that there. That this is how we know, how we can rest in his presence. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. It means you and I must rest in God's greatness. Oh, shout hallelujah. Beloved, I want you to know today, there is something called forgiveness of yourself. And it is realizable when you rest in someone who is greater. And that is God himself. This is what John had in mind when he said, God is greater than our hearts. Uh, one more passage before we go to the second lesson. Acts chapter 10, verse number 23. Acts chapter 10, verse number 23. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of uh, the brothers from Joppa and went along. Let's read on. The following day they arrived in Caesarea. We're going to have to skip some verses. Let me just look at it myself because I don't have the time. So we're going to skip some verses there so I can go directly to the passage. We, let me uh, pick it up myself so that we go directly to the passage of, uh, of relevance. I, I, I want us to go directly to... Um, First of all, verse number 19, which we didn't read. Then we'll read verse number 23, which we have read, so then we'll skip after that. Verse number 19, when Peter was still looking about at the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So we skip on and go to verse 23, which we have read, and verse 24 uh, which is um, an indication of the fact that the next day they started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa and went along with him. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and called together his relatives and close friends. What follows there is a, narr is a narrative now of how Peter saw a vessel and how he thought something that was unclean could not be handled 
or even eaten. And God said to him, what I've called clean, you cannot call unclean. That proceeds. But our focus is on verse number 34. In fact, let's begin at verse number 33. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good for you to come. Now we are all here, he says, in the presence of God. Remember we're talking about setting our hearts at rest in the presence of God. In the presence of God, ready to listen to everything the Lord commanded you to tell us. Now listen to Peter. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true that God does not show favoritism. Remember, he does the forgiving of sins, not for you and I, but for his sake. So he says, now I know that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So when we do what is right, he forgives. We repent, he forgives. And completely forgets those sins. Verse 43. He makes a final statement. All the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. So in the New Testament here, you have a a very extreme case of a Gentile grouping and coming before God and having been seen uh, typologically in that vessel that Peter had to deal with and that absolute truth being made clear again that God forgives. So you and I must rest in this thing that God's, uh, God forgives and he's greater than your greatest mistake. So that's lesson number one, rest in the truth of God's greatness. Lesson number two, it takes us back to verse number 23 of 1 um, John. And verse number 23 says as follows, just follow me for a moment. Verse number 23, and this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he has commanded us. So he goes back. So the first part we're dealing with beginning to uh, let go and forgive yourself. But there's a formula suggested here on how you can actually learn to forgive yourself. After you have recognized God's greatness And because God is greater than your heart, there's a second step. Practice loving. And I've put it this way, practice giving love to others. Let's talk about that for a moment. You see, many people fail to receive love because they've never learned to give it. Ah, you didn't hear me. People fail to receive love because they've never learned to give it. So I have one simple theory. This is my original theory and thinking. And it goes as as follows. That if you give love, you will learn to receive love. 
and likely find it easier to love yourself. Let me repeat that. If you give love, you will learn to receive love and likely find it easier to forgive yourself or to love yourself. Some of you listening to me right now are struggling with loving yourself and forgiving yourself because you have never learned not only to forgive others, but you've never learned to give love to others. And John here says, love one another. Somebody shout hallelujah. Love one another. A song that I learned many years ago in the church I used to go to before I received Christ. Said, make me a channel of your peace. Where there is sadness, let me give you joy. And an aspect of that is that you learn to give and offer something and make a difference. And when you do that, you actually position yourself to receive what you've been able to give. Some of you are nursing rejection now because you yourself have rejected love from others. And you've rejected love from others because not only have you rejected yourself, but you have been unable to learn to give love. And today, this is the test God is giving you. Can you consider giving love? Because as you give love, you will learn to receive. You will position yourself to receive. Look at verses 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So beloved, while you struggle with loving yourself and forgiving yourself, take this new step. Give love. Lay down your life for someone else and you will find out that your heart will be better positioned to receive. Some people constantly live in disbelief even when kindness is shown to them because they've just closed their minds to say, nobody will ever love me. So if somebody, somebody just shows kindness to you and you reject it. And you say, ah, so why is he doing that to me? But you are, people are trying to reach out to you. <laughs> now hear this. Some of you have even turned away the hand of God reaching out to you because you are unable to forgive yourself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. And God commends his love to us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you listening to me have been unable to even receive the love of God because you've never forgiven yourself. But as you learn to give, you will also learn to receive. 
And the first level of love you must learn to receive is God's love for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. God's love for you. So he laid down his life for you. Jesus died for you. Will you continue to reject him and reject what others are trying to show to you as kindness? I say to you today, by the grace and mercy of the Lord, practice giving love. Not easy. So there are people listening to me today who have unresolved issues in the family, unresolved issues within the Christian community, unresolved issues in the life group, unresolved issues somewhere where you're relating with others. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day when you must learn to forgive yourself. But in order for you to actually forgive yourself and love yourself, God is asking you to learn, to practice giving love to others. Because in giving, you receive. And giving opens the door for many blessings. Is this making sense to someone here today? Lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. So let me go back to that theory. If you give love, you will learn to receive love. And likely find it easier to love yourself. And that is in these verses, including the one I have just read. Read here. If you go on to verse 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, how can he love God? How can he, how can the love of God be in him? It's very serious. In another place, it says, How can you love God whom you have not seen? And you're failing to love someone whom you see. Are we reflecting on God's grace today and God's love? All right, I want to move on to the last lesson suggested by John here. So rest in the truth of God's greatness. Practice giving love to others. Lastly, apply the law of the Spirit. So, John in verse 24 says, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave to us. Capital S. So the rule of the Holy Spirit here comes in for the child of God. Applying the law of the spirit. The apostle Paul is the one person that developed this teaching on the law of the Spirit more than any other person in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. So let's go to a passage that's uh, uh, coming from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8. And with that, I'll be wrapping up shortly. Romans 8, extremely significant. From verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You see, this struggle of forgiving oneself and letting go happens because you are hearing a voice of condemnation in your conscience, in your mind, and in your heart. You're battling with something that's saying, you did this, you did this, you never recover, you amount to nothing, you did this. You failed to do this. You failed to do the other. And so the condemnation keeps coming. And yet, 
God has saved you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit. John has said we must now apply the law of the Spirit. Remember? So now, Paul the Apostle says the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life, set me free. Meaning when we apply the power of the Spirit, you will be set free. I want to prophesy over your life today. You will be free in a few moments from now. You will forgive yourself. You will learn to let go. God has things for you today, tomorrow, and in the future. You cannot live your life feeling sorry for yourself the whole time when Jesus hung on the cross and paid the price of sin for you. All you have to do is take the first step. Act on what God has done. And he has prepared the way for you. You cannot continue to wallow in condemnation of yourself. And all being equal here, I'm talking to people who have made effort and are making effort to really say no to that sin. And you are now wanting to move on for God. But there is a condemnation that is lingering. I have come to prophesy your liberty today. And for you to understand that there is a God in heaven who can allow you to let go of yourself, enable you to let go of the things that are holding you so you can forgive yourself. Because the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That condemnation is coming from the law of sin and death. And I declare liberty over your life right now. In Jesus' name. Verse 3 of Romans 8. For that, for what the law was powerless to do. In that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. That is serious. So God has dealt with sin and condemned sin inside you. So when you reject sin by confessing your sins and repenting and turning away, but then you have this lingering voice of the enemy in your mind and in your heart, and your heart is condemning you. You must remember today, there is somebody in the house that's greater than your condemning heart. There's something in here that God wants us to know. He is in the house and is greater than the condemning voice of the enemy. You must forgive yourself and let go. I have to take it all the way. So follow me as I read, because these words are powerful. I'm wrapping up shortly, but I have to take it all the way quickly. Follow me. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul now. Verse number four. In order that 
the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the law of the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds on what the sinful nature desires. But those, and I know there are some here right now listening to me, who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on the spirit, on the spirit, on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace and receive life and peace right now. So when you allow the spirit to rule and control, you receive life. And I pronounce life over Yola. I pronounce life over you. I declare life over you. I declare peace over your life. Be free in Jesus' name. And you know, that kind of thing that's lingering in your mind, it's not, it's not that you have a demon. You're a Christian saying, no, there's a demon inside me that's condemning. No, when Jesus is inside you, you cannot be demon-possessed. It's an external thing coming from the enemy and internally within your own heart that condemnation reigns because of the way the conscience appears and works and operates. But Jesus is inside you. So receive life. I said receive life and peace. That's why the Bible talks about the peace of God ruling in your heart. I said I'm going to run with it. So come alongside so that I can, I can finish. Verse number seven. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Nor does, nor can it do so. The control, this, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, oh praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. I'm saying, beloved, apply the law of the Spirit because you are living by the law of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, hello? If the Spirit of God lives in you, there's a period there. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So you have a chance to receive Christ today. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now hear me, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will raise your mortal body. Come on, I am speaking something that is real here. The power of God in your life, energizing you. The power of the Spirit living inside you is a reality you must understand that is able to free you from condemning yourself perpetually. And you can understand that you can forgive yourself and you can let go. He will also give you life or give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not of the sinful nature to live according to it. But if 
you live according to sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, hear this, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, enabling you to cry, Abba, Father, because you're sons of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So, understand me, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the Holy Spirit residing inside you, giving you the ability to say no to unrighteousness and sin. And so, even if you have failed in some area, as you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can learn to forgive yourself and let go completely. Never to give yourself again as a slave to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship that says you're able to cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs. I know some of you, you say heirs. That's okay. God understands you. But then also heirs. 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 Okay. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. Rest in the truth of God's greatness. Practice giving love to others. Apply the law of the spirit. If we do these things, beloved, those words of John, become true. This then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Somebody shout hallelujah. I came to declare today that your day to forgive yourself and let go is here. Do that because God has provided that opportunity. Shalom.